You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Sinran Shu writes for The Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom. She's the author of The Good Women of China and Sky Burial. Her new book is China Witness, Voices from the Silent Generation. Thank you for joining me, Sinran. Thank you. This is a fascinating book because it takes a different look at history. We see it from the ground up rather than from the sky down. Could you talk about the process of creating this book? It's been in the works for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, I have to say this book is based on my 20 years research because since I became a journalist in the 1980s, and I was naive. I was very naive. I discovered this by the very late age. And I thought I knew China. I knew Chinese women. I knew, you know, this nation. So when I realized something I never knew, I wanted the answer to my questions. And also I really want to get the answer about my mother's generation because my mom gave me life. She hasn't given me very much about her time, even her love. Now, um, as you started writing this book, you came up with some ideas uh, for who you were going to talk to. Tell me about selecting the people uh, that you were going to talk to for this book. Yeah, when I started the process uh, in 1980s, I didn't realize it could be a book. Uh, that idea just for the education to myself because I needed to know, I needed to learn the fact of this country, particularly last 100 years. And also I want to know the real story behind, you know, uh, propaganda. So when I start listen to people, ask questions. I select about 50 people as my teachers or advice of my lifetime. That time, they are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. In last 20 years, I followed them. Very beginning, I just listened to their story about their childhood, what they heard from their grandmother, and I was very curious, want to know how did they choose the marriage? And by political reason, or by traditional family arrange, or by themselves? And also, how did they start their career? You know, what's the reason for them to choose this kind of job in their life? Then later on, after 1990s, I noticed in this group of people, they were really struggled about how to see the changing in China and how to see the completely different life between themselves and their grandchildren and their own children. So that is the really big lesson in my life. Until 2005, when I decided to write the book on this research. Now, having decided to, to write this book, you had to go uh, travel to China and, and but and it wasn't just you though. You you had a, a a film and audio crew. Tell me about getting together the people to to put this make this project happen. 
Actually, an idea about the book has come from my husband, a literary agent, Toby Eady, because、mm. he noticed every time I went back China with him, I always go back same group, the old generation, talk to people. So he asked me what I talk about. So I told him, for me, just listen to the story. So he said, "Why don't you write the book?" You know, my first reaction was, "Oh, impossible." Because the Chinese won't let me talk in the public, so he said,、uh, "You should try because the very important you build up this kind of understanding between the Western and China, and also between the different generation in the family, because only understanding can bring the peace to different part of the world." So I passed the idea to my people. You know, each single of them said, "No way, Xinyuan." We tell the story because in last twenty years we treated you as our daughter. You know, we spent twenty years to know each other. Now you want to represent the story to the world. That means you want to naked our lives. Then I tried to persuade them from two thousand five to two thousand six, and finally about more than twenty of them agreed with me. But again, I knew could be very difficult for them to talk in front of the camera. The idea I bring, I brought a group of students from both sides, UK and China, was I always had this kind of charitable work with the students. I used to be a guest professor in China. I realized after Cultural Revolution. And the Chinese teaching resource and the qualified teaching resource with a very how to shut off this kind of energy. So I thought if I could bring some children or young students with me, maybe during this journey they can learn something. But to be honest, I didn't realize they had no idea. And when they listened to the story, when they filmed, I remember my filmman. And cameraman come from you know Nanjing Art University. He was a lecturer there. His teacher already, and、uh, he was completely forgot his、uh, camera, and ran out the tap because the story shocked him so much. Afterwards, he asked me, "Shall I see the truth?" You know. So then afterwards, I realized how much this could. Influence those students' the life, and the later on, I invite、uh, more than a hundred Chinese students from three cities: Beijing, Shanghai, Nanjing, involved in this project. And partly, I need someone come from same hometown, speak same dialogue, to confirm the language I interviewed. And also, partly, I need、uh, dig out lots of the history resource. You know, not rely on just computer. So from the local society, and partly I need someone help me check the facts, what they talk about. You know, and how to fit the and the published history knowledge. So when those students work with me, and what's very interesting is、uh, a. They didn't know that's all the stories, and they thought uh, was uh, just uh, you know lie. Some students even say they made up the story. We never heard about this. And some students said to me, "It's really happened. I never got this、uh, 
words, you know. It's a computer, no such words. How could it be true? And that means language disappearing in China and the lifestyle changed and disappearing in China as well. Then the worst things happen is the students didn't know the history makers in last hundred years in China. They gave me a wrong name. This really shocked me because they are university students. You know, then they didn't know the name of Chinese makers, just history makers just in last hundred years. So I think that this education had the problem. Tell us a little bit about um, your... <clears throat> One of the things that you uh, talk about is that the Chinese people are reluctant to talk because of this idea of collective guilt. Tell us how you got around the, this perception of collective guilt that to get your people to talk to you. I think in part, uh, before that, I have to uh, explain this background, uh, mm -hmm. uh, if you allow me. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you read Chinese history, you will find out in China, we don't have a national religion. And we adopted uh, Western religion from Indian, from Muslim, from Western Europe, you know, in the very late age, almost like a 2,000 or 1,500 years later. So Chinese culture is rooted by Chinese philosophy. And also in our political system, we treated our emperor as our god. So this god always changed. So we don't have any how do you say, central Bible, as you do. So we have uh, analyzed new Bibles. So we have uh, analyzed new central judgments. So in Chinese society, and uh, we don't have these kind of central judgments. So people frightened if you say something wrong, you could be punished by new God. So this is one reason. Second reason, if you read Chinese legal system history, we set up the first legal, or we call the law, uh, which is in 223 BC by first emperor Qin Shi Huang. That legal system in Chinese we call it Jiu Zhu Lian Zuo. That means one person did something wrong against the law. 3,000 relatives should be killed, must be killed. And then this crude system dominated China until 1912. Generations and generations by this bigger system. And the third reason is that after 1912, when the China finished at the last emperor, and the whole country was, how do you say, dropped into the analyze of several war, warlords war, you know, anti-Japanese war, partly Second World War, Korea War, and the Vietnam War all political wars. So people just living the unsure, like uh, the history period in Europe uh, during the French Revolution in five years' time. You know, the justice has been turned up and down many times. The people pay the lives for this price, or if you say something wrong, or if you, you're on the wrong side. So because this kind of reasons, yeah, the first of all is about, you know, our religion beliefs. Second, about legal 
an impact, and the third one about this last hundred years. So Chinese become a very silent nation. So why studies research on this fact was very difficult to get people talk, and、uh, someone thought they wanted to talk, but they didn't know how to talk. They answer your question simply with a mouth quotation. Communist Party's slogan, oh, just some documents, the sentence, very funny. And then finally, when people start to talk, then you can see they talk some common things. They don't talk individual, their personal life and personal view. So I spend lots of time to work out how to do it. If you see, I had a one red nail. That is this reason as well. Why I start my radio show, I couldn't get a story. It was very difficult. So one day I cooked for my son. I chopped the red pepper. So one piece of the red pepper left on my face. I went to on the buses to the office. Then the woman on the bus come to me say, "Oh, something on your face." That was the first story I got from chatting with this woman. So that night, I thought quite a lot how to get a story, how to understand a woman's character different from men. So they are very careful and thoughtful and warm, and details. So next morning, from then, I started making up in the wrong way. Always in my face, something you know, the black or green or lips out. Then. Women always come to me, say, "Oh, the silly girl, something you know on your face is wrong." So during this process, I got the chance. I learned, you know, how to be with them and make them comfortable, make them trust you, and also they feel that you are not above them. So, I want to remember that woman who opened my mind as a key, opened the door. You know, to my research, so I start painting one nail as a red, and another nine is nature color. That's fascinating. Now let's talk about、uh, some of the people you talk to.、Um, the The first person that we encounter in your book is Yao Popo. She's a, a medicine lady. Now the Cultural Revolution helped her, but maybe not in the way that we'd expect, <laughs> didn't it? But I have to say, during my twenty years research,、mm-hmm. Yao Popo is only one who told me she loves Cultural Revolution because she made a huge money by Cultural Revolution. Because she said during the ten years Cultural Revolution, education stopped, hospital didn't work, classroom didn't work, medicine training didn't work, but human body never stopped. So anyone had a body trouble and went to Her to get her, you know, get some medicine help. So she said because this reason, she got huge money, and it's very funny. But another hand, Yao Popo、uh, really helped me to understand in the very traditional way how the Chinese medicine system worked, because they travel around the, the country like a travel mobile doctors to the local people. You know, to help them improve or give them treatment. It's a very interesting stories. Well, she her story is very interesting. I'm she was given away by her father. 
Yeah. That was very common in China and uh, still today in the deep countryside when people couldn't afford life and without birth control. Actually, this not just happened in China. And uh, if you go back 50 years ago or even longer, in the Europe, America, you have uh, lots of the you know, adoption happened because some people can't afford to feed their kids. Mm-hmm. And like uh, Denmark, you know, adopted lots of the children from um, Iceland. The people told me about this, and America had this adoption start a very early time. So in China, this uh, happened in the poor countryside, and uh, when the family get poor or when parent died, or uh, like a family function damaged, so the first things they don't want their children, you know, starved to death, so they gave away. So Yao Po was given away and when she was a four. But she was the lucky one because the medicine master and uh, adopted her and uh, helped her build up her own family in the future. Now, she talked about uh, different kinds of illnesses, old and new illnesses. Yes. Tell us about her old, Yao Po Po's old vision of old and new illnesses. Yeah, um, she's a very knowledgeable, and also she had been educated by time by her talent of of a, how do you say observation, and she told me, you know, in the old age, in the past, people had a lot of problem by heavy labor work. So your joints, your back, your shoulder in different way. You know, because by the hard work, physically work in the land or kerosene, that is an older illness. The new one, then, because computer, everybody has a neck problem, back problem, hand problem. Then, particularly what she talked about, the McDonald's illness. She said that, that rubbish food gave you so much fat. So people got a lot of problems. You know, the red poppies on your face and on your skin. And she said, just, you know, they modernize their life, but they didn't realize that they put their life into the rubbish. That's very interesting. I never thought about this. Now, um, uh, you also talked to, to Lin, Lin uh, Shangbai, and he was the son of two revolutionary murders, uh, martyrs. And tell us the fascinating story of the double gun woman. I love that story. Yeah. Actually, if you ask any Chinese from mainland uh, in the new generation or even, you know, the age between the 20s to 60, we all knew, we all know her story. Double gun woman, the real name called Chen Lian Shi. She come from very wealthy family in Sichuan, and she was very good at painting, and highly educated woman. In that time, I think maybe just one of the thousand percent, or maybe ten thousand million percent women could be educated in such a level. Now, what what year was this? In nineteen thirties. Okay. Yeah. And I think thirty two or thirty four, mm-hmm. even before that. And then she married her husband and uh, who wasn't very rich, but
but the full of the new ideas because that time China was, you know, after Opium War and particularly after Japanese invaded China. Now, lots of Chinese lost the national pride. Then her husband was the kind of young man, you know, stood up, said, let's do something for our country, not just stay in a comfortable life. So double gun woman followed her husband, married this guy and followed him. But very soon, her husband was executed by National Party as a red terrorist. So double gun woman and was, you know, and the deep hurt and for this sadness. So he's, she stood up and followed her husband's step and took a, a replaced the leadership of the big trips. And with all the men fighting with the Japanese and the National Party, as a hero in the local people's eyes. But after Communist Party took over 1949, because she had the unclear background, because in that, that mountain era between the Tibet and the uh, um, Chinese side, yeah, it's a mountain era, the Sichuan, in, the, in that era has a long history about, uh, you know, falls, power force help local poor. So it doesn't matter belong to which side of the political view. They just, you know, one day they attack the rich, another day they're against someone. So because this kind of reason, Communist Party, when they clean up the history, as we said, so this group of about 5,000 families were under this kind of tidy up process. So double gun woman was cleaned up out from a communist party. So when she died in 1956, and she was very, how do you say, sad because she believed that she followed the communist party. She is a part of the one rebuilt China and uh, against the Japanese. But in the society, in that judgment, no one agree with her, and also that 5,000 trips. So that story in China was very popular, and by the book called Hong Yan. But when I started my attention to this family, when I tried to dig out what really happened in that period of history, I found something very interesting. It's not just these 5,000 trips, and also how much their children infected by this. Because almost each single family, the children from in the family become orphans. Many of them just died. Then double gun woman who had, how do you say, really inspired me quite a lot is by her forgave. You know, we had been through such a difficult life, including myself. How to forgive the past, forgive your enemy, forgive someone damage your life deeply. So I learned a great deal from her. 
So when I tried to interview the family, I met her son-in-law, because the the son-in-law's father used to be a lover of Dabogao woman. So because they couldn't make this kind, because the the man died, so the two family joined together, become one family. So Dabogao woman that her daughter married to the Mister Lin. Then Mr. Lin really firmly believe he's a Communist Party follower or member, but in fact he was put into the prison, twenty eight years by Communist Party, by the same reason unclear history. You also talk in this book. We talked to teacher's son, um, and his wife about the world's biggest. Prison. This is kind of astonishing. There's so many parts of this book that tell us things that I can hardly even imagine knowing and and not knowing. Tell us about the world's biggest prison in the middle of the Gobi Desert. Yes, and this largest prison in the world was set up by Communist Party in 1950s because when they just beat National Party. And、uh, the China was very poor, exhausted by fifty years war, and、uh, so no food and no life supply. So there are about twenty no two hundred thousands National Party's war prisoners and three hundred thousands criminals. So those people obviously took the food as well. So someone gave the idea to the Mao Zedong, send them to the desert. Yeah, partly they can stop Soviet if something happened from the west part of China, and also we can and、um, get power into the Muslim area, which is always trouble on the Silk Road, and also is the idea to keep them away from major food supply. So five hundred thousand criminals,、uh, pre- war prisoners, and guarded by fifty thousand Red Army. So they built up a modern city. If you go to Xinjiang now, northwest China, there are many modern small town or big cities there. But those town and cities built up by those people by their hands in Gobi Desert. After this interview, I started this interest in this project. It's nineteen eighties when I did research on Silk Road, but that time impossible. Was impossible. You can get into the object at all because government completely just banned this project until two thousand five in the summer, and the government allowed the Chinese journalists to go in to report this part of the story. So I was a lucky one. So a year later, I got a chance, went there. So when I listened to people, you know, again this happened. They didn't want to tell you, they test you first. I was tested by drink dirty water, because no tap water in poor village. So when you tell them you want to know the story, even through their friends, they say, "Oh, welcome. Would you like to drink some water?" Then the water come from you know. The worms and the bug, you see them all there. Thing, so I drink it. Then they said, "Oh, have a meal with us." Then they wave out flies, you know, on the top of the meal, 
I was like, I、uh, struggled. Should I eat it or not? Because I want a story. When I had the first food, mouth of the food, village people come one by one, told me the stories. So all these kind of things and happen in that era. I spend years, years try to work out the fact. But honestly, two facts so far haven't worked out. One is how many people died there, because as the old man said, they are slept in the sky. You know, in face the sky is no house there. So winter in the desert,、uh, the Gobi desert is very cold. So you get up in the morning, and the people around you didn't move. That means they all gone. So every day, every winter, this happened. So I couldn't figure out the numbers of deaths from central government, from local authorities. No, nothing there. And also, I couldn't figure out who they are, who they were before the nineteen fifties. No one will tell you they belong to criminal or red army. No, everybody keep the secret. Tell us、uh, about your、uh, conversation uh, with uh, Mrs. Yu.、Uh, she she and her husband were、uh, Chinese oil explorers. Very very in-、uh, again something we just never knew. Ta- tell us about prospecting for oil in China. Yes, I learned a、um, lot from this couple, and Mr. Yu still is number one、uh, expert on the. Oil field in China. Actually, he's one of the founder of China Energy System, and his wife is the first、uh, head of the female, how to say, drilling team in 1950s. And when I met them a few years ago, actually a long time ago, through the relatives or friends, and、uh, I didn't realize Chinese actually is quite clever. When the 1950s, we realized our natural resource, which is very limited, could damage or stop our development. So we send our trips to the Africa in the very early 1960s. That time, lots of people thought we try to build up relationship. Actually, China wanted that black blood or black gold from South Africa. And also, he told me the relationship or difficult or battlefield with the Soviet, you know. And also, how much Soviet help Chinese to dig oil as well. And、uh, um, there are so much stories about、uh, in that generation when people devote their life and time to the country, to the party, you know. But、uh, the most things that got me from their story was the. This couple, they are highly educated, but their three children never been educated until late thirties or early forties. I met them. When I met them, you can see their body language is just completely uneducated peasants. So this couple, when I interview them, when they talk about、uh, this kind of energy history, they're very exciting, very lively, very cheerful. But when they talk about family, they are in deep, deep guilt, and they feel guilty. And they now they never take a holiday. They never had any time for themselves. They just 
you know, give all the time and their energy to their grandchildren as they would pay to their own children. They uh, they never had any time for their children. They devoted their entire lives to 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 working for for the oil company. Um, could you talk about uh, the impact of the Cultural Revolution on, on Mr. and Mrs. Yu? He was denounced, wasn't he? Yes. And that time, Cultural Revolution, four kind of people have to be or must have been punished. One is you are highly educated. That means you come from rich or capitalist family. Mm. So that is target. Secondly, you have any overseas relationship or families or relatives. That means you could be international spy. Yeah. And the third one, anyone who worked for national party, and no matter how high position or how low position you were, that means you used to work for enemy. So you have to be punished. Yeah. Then the last one is uh, anyone is a very special list on some field that means you take too much time for the not for the party for the science you know that means you're not good enough very funny idea because of this so mr you obviously had uh, you know highly educated uh, he's a specialist uh, and also the funny thing is he had been trained in soviet and started in the soviet so when he come back he brought back a radio but for lots of the red guards who hardly knew radio, you know, that time, so they treated that, they thought that radio is for international spy, <laughs> spy tours, you know, for the code or something, uh, telegraph. So it's a, it's a ridiculous story because of this radio. And he had from the Soviet, Mr. Yu had been punished by years and years. Now, one thing I don't think uh, many people understand are the immense changes that uh, came about with uh, Deng Xiaoping and, and the reform opening. Could you talk about that? Um, yeah, in Chinese history, if we say human record history, more than 2,000 or uh, 3,000 years, or we said five years uh, civilization, you know, in fact, only twice we opened. The first time is by opium war and by Western weapons. And before that, people said, oh, you have a Silk Road. Yes, we did have, but Silk Road was very limited, only reached the Middle East, not very further to the west part of the world. Then we really opened ourselves later, 1970s, or we always say it's 1980s, by open policy by Deng Xiaoping. When this policy started, it's not just like a policy from central government. Actually, it was the idea to open four places around the East Coast, next to Hong Kong and, uh, you know, uh, by the sea, to give people some more chance to test how to develop economic and not controlled by the government plan. So when that started from Guangzhou, Shenzhen, you know, these kind of places, then people realize we, we can do something and make a better life. 
So it's not based on policy. Actually, it's by the facts. And because this and central government control become loose and loose, so lots of peasants they start moving to the city looking for the better life. That is a huge revolution for China, because in our history we never allowed the peasants left their land. So when those peasants flood into the China, they completely change and crush the Chinese city system. So they replace lots of the jobs. They push the city changed. Then the whole country, just like you know, very peaceful lake. You put the throw the stone into that wave out. So if you see this kind of process of the open policy, lots of people said, "Oh, China started from 1980s." It's not really true. It's from 1980s. First one jump into this movement was uneducated people, and the most educated people they start from 1992 because they frightened that this could be another political movement. So they waited and watched another ten years. Then they make sure that is opportunity in Chinese history, so they jump in. So China really move fast in the right direction, or the better choice is from 1992, from my research. Now, I, I want you to tell us about、uh, Wu Chenli, who's a, a tea house news singer. This is a really interesting occupation. Again, something you I could hardly imagine. Um, tea house in North Anhui and the place called Linhuan,、um, because this area used to be very rich in Tang Dynasty and、uh, about six hundred A.D. So lots of very rich culture left、um, has been kept very well left, but、uh, then become very very poor when the the water and、uh, we cut off.、Uh, Because it dry up the rivers, so this area become a very poor since the Ming Dynasty, sixteenth century. Then the people living in that area, and have been totally forgotten, and again, and the local culture has been benefited from this、uh, forgotten. The oldest tea house has been kept in there, and still living the Ming Dynasty wooden. Buildings there. So when I started working on that、uh, area, actually it's charity work. I discovered some things like local culture actually is very much similar in many places where it's very poor, because people had、uh, no chance to be educated. They are so poor. So each generation from ancient time, they send two men to outside of the village to listen to the news. And the interesting things. Then they come back. They sing the story in the tea house, as a you know news agency. Then because this、uh, kind, of, you know, it's a little bit like a Western,、uh, how do you say, street、uh, street cry, before in Europe, you know, like、mm-hmm. a Roma, someone、uh, street、singing. performers. Yes, something like that.、Mm-hmm. So when I discovered the last. News singer still alive in his eighties. So I went to see him. Try switch 
him who had the interview with me. And this guy was so funny. He didn't know how to speak. Anything even very simple. What's your name? He started singing poem to me. So unfortunately, when the Chinese, my writing in Chinese,、uh, translated into English, this does not make sense. But if you read Chinese, you see each single of his answer about his wife, about history, a village, a tea, everything is in the poem. Very funny. But I'm so glad I, when I saw he sang a long poem about Chinese、uh, modern history to me. That is fascinating. Now,、um, you also talked to、uh, the lantern makers、um, in Nanjing. Tell us about lan- the lantern makers because this、um, brings to light something that again is incomprehensible here in America. We We look back at something that's two hundred years old and think, "Boy, that's that's old." <laughs> no, lanterns in China will have a thousand, thousand years history. I think、uh, when we have the very first light,、mm-hmm. you know, and the people use candles, but the wing is Chinese is different from the Western. You had the、uh, glasses from Egypt or some. Um, places a very early age. China had very late, so we use the paper because Chinese is very good about paper and the clothes as very beginning and even、uh, tree leaves, you know, as a part of the lanterns. Then、um, when we have this kind of、uh, festivals, start from like one thousand five BC. Hundred BC, and a lot of people use these lanterns as a New Year celebration, as well, because you know that time no lights, people just based on the seasons. So when they have the major、uh, celebration, normally is uh, uh, based on agriculture, spring and autumn. So that is a very long history. And why tried to get some story from a traditional handmade history? I found a, a, this group of lantern makers in Nanjing because Nanjing used to be very famous about lantern makers. But unfortunately, from the interview, I discovered and ten kind of very big uh, uh, lantern maker system. Actually, eight of them gone already. So like huge dragons, today's dragon is very limited, not move around, lively, flexible as they heard from their grandparents, and also mini lantern as a very small, like a little box that can light it. Now it's gone because the materials and the the way by hand all gone. But、uh, when I interview them, all of them said me the same things, which is very sad, because their new generation didn't want to go on as they did from their last generation, because they said that can't make money, and、uh, yeah, computer can't make it and design it. You know, it's everything by hand, labor work. So those lantern makers said to me, "Xian, shall we?" Hand this Chinese traditional, you know, skill art to the Western, if someone can learn. When I heard this, I feel a little bit sad. I hope we can 
you know, have a new generation can carry on this because that is a very beautiful part of Chinese history and the culture. Now, you also talked to Mr. Chongzhen about the Long March. Tell us what the Long March was and what happened to Mr. Chongzhen when it happened when he experienced it. Um. Long March is the history fact uh, of very much part of the Chinese Communist Party. This is between the nineteen thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a thirty. Actually, start early, much early, so the thirty-one to thirty-five. I think thirty-four is what. No, thirty-four start, mm-hmm. but before that is the Communist Party mm-hmm. and uh, built up this, and also built up this hate between the Communist Party and the, to the uh, National Party. So when the Long March, lots of people said it's from the thirty-four to thirty-five, the one-year time with the uh, uh, how do you say three hundred thousand troops, then to the end only thirty thousand uh, survived. And the figures when I grew up. You know, I was educated in this way, but when I realized when I did the research on that, actually this is, should be a little bit earlier, and in fact, as they believed, and this guy I interviewed, Mr. Chang Zheng, he was the part of this, and because I want to, how do you say, bring this argument to him, so I asked him a few questions. Is what really when Chang、uh, Long March started? Yeah, this is the argument. How long the Long March, and is the Long March real there or just by the different piece together? Then he was、uh, very annoyed with me. Say you don't trust me. You know, I told you I've been. You know, we did a. Many years、uh, is you know we started from this until now. Then later, his wife was very annoyed with me, and his wife said, "Okay, everybody said it's from nineteen thirty four to nineteen thirty five, but my husband joined earlier. Yeah, but、uh, started when he started join the army, and he started working all the time. Then he said,、uh, then she said, 'Okay, don't argue with the Xinran, show Xinran.'" Your feet. So when I saw the feet, I become speechless because he traveled between the no snow mountain and the wet um, damned um, grass field many times by the infections by the frozen. He lost his toe, so it's not human feet there anymore. Just all the toe, ten toes. Go, so very strange. Two sticks touched ground. So that is something you know. When we question about、uh, is the Changzheng or Long March is true or not, it's really worked. And it's all different directions come to this fact. Academic said, okay, possibly it's not that long. Yeah, but historian said, yeah, possibly because they up and down many times, but someone really questioned because the evidence is not very firmed, confirmed. Now, 
as you were putting together this book, you were putting together, in a sense, almost a, an alternate history of China, from not not what China knows, nor what the West knows, but what the people who are living it on the ground, how they knew it, from the 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 plain facts of their lives. Uh, you know, the going to getting food, going you know, um, the the long hard days. Could you talk about that kind of experience of history to, to, to tease that out and understand, preserve that? Because it, we were on the verge of losing all of that history, all the people who were there. Yes. Um, in the book, I interviewed the old policeman and become policeman in 1947. And he gave me a big lesson on how the China restructured uh, and the legal way actually is. I was very shocked when he told me that no one had been educated by law before 1980s in Henan, uh, who carry out a huge death penalty in this province, you know, by the legal teams. I was so shocked. I said, at least someone had been educated by law. He said, you are very naive. But they, he told me about this situation because his own father and her own grandfather, um, both uh, starving to death. And uh, he said uh, he was very, you know, every time he thought about this, uh, he just still couldn't believe because his grandparents and his uh, father, they both generation had a little bit of education. But that time in China, and uh, particularly during the Japanese uh, invaded, this is a Many uh, other interviewees mentioned as well, you know, and uh, this country was so poor and the people really struggled for just daily food. But uh, actually when I asked him, have you told your grandson about this, you know, what really happened in our lifetime, you know, even in my lifetime, we just line queue waiting for a piece of the tofu every month, you know. And he said, oh, there's no way. Why try to start a story from my grandfather who, you know, died because hungry. My son said, my grandson said, oh, how stupid your grandfather was. Why didn't he have a bite of the bread or drink, a, you know, a bottle of the milk? And he wouldn't die. So the policeman said, how could you let your children understand that if they never understand what hungry means? So I think in China, just before 1980s, and in last generations, we have been through this kind of starving, and uh, I think millions, more than maybe several millions died by the starving, not just by short of the footage, I think by the exhausted of this country system as well. Now, you said um, that though the, the poor were still poor, they, they, uh, they actually had gotten, things got better for them just by virtue of the fact they were recognized as humans in a sense. No, there is a huge gap uh, between the rich and the poor in China and between the city and the countryside, at least the 500 years difference. Some area may be 1,000 years difference. I promise you, I've been there. Actually, this morning I just had a conversation with Amy Tam. 
and、uh, we talk about this. She went to some countryside. She showed me the picture. You know, we talked how big a gap between the city and the countryside. And、um, but again, for this kind, the poor and the become a poor, I think, are very much compared to because we got top rich in the world. You know. But I have to say, in last thirty years, many places, particularly in east part of China, have been improved enormously. Really, is the at least the most places、uh, people had food or clothes now improved compared to at least twenty years ago when I'm working there. And、um, but still, from、uh, United Nations research, four million. Chinese are still living under, you know, very basic living condition. Four million. There's a, a a science fiction writer named William Gibson who said that the future has arrived, but it's just not distributed evenly. I think in China the present has arrived, but it hasn't distributed evenly either. Yeah, but it, we have to understand this is huge country, one point three billion population, quarter of the you know the people on this earth. So if China, as what they have did, could feed this population, I think that's a great achievement to this world, but not easy to do that.、Um, you you also talked to a, a, a shoe mender, and in order to to get her to talk to you, you had to have her mend your shoe, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, and、uh, she's the amazing woman. I never thought, you know, when she told me she can read、uh, the people's、uh, professional or character from the shoes and from、uh, and the way they walked. I found so fascinating. Actually, it's true. It's very reasonable, and the most things made me, you know, think about her all the time. I think、uh, I that is.、Uh, Mother of China, this woman moved to city from poor countryside, Hubei, to the capital of Henan, Zhengzhou. Then she had been working in the street over twenty-eight years by the time I saw her, and she spent all of her twenty-eight years time living the public toilet. That's really. Shocked me, and、uh, you know. Then she sent her son to the best university for PhD, and her daughter to best university for MA, Beida. Without any help from anyone and the government, the penny. I can't tell you how much this woman gave me this kind of. How do you say? Is satisfied of my country and the pride of my、uh, nation, because I think when we talk about China today's、uh, political power or economic、uh, numbers, that is something not from real China soul. The real China rules and our energy is the Chinese people. You know, when we try to talk about history, we always believe history made by politicians, history makers. But my personal against that, I think, is by people, by each single individual families, like shoe repair. You know, she is part of China today. 
and all the Chinese mothers, what they have given to us, and just unconditional love and by hard work. I just hope a new generation could think about this, could recognize this, and respect that. I've been speaking with Xinran Xu. Her new book is China Witness, Voices from a Silent Generation. Thank you for joining me, Xinran. Thank you for your very interesting question. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.